Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the HMO Podcast with me, Andy Graham. I am super excited about this episode. We're going to be talking about the steps that you can follow to build a successful and sustainable HMO portfolio or business. Now, there's a lot to cover here, so we're going to split it into two episodes, and this is the first part of a two-parter. In this episode, we're going to cover the first 10 steps that you can follow. And it doesn't matter whether you're just getting started, whether you're just getting your first HMO on the go, or whether you've got a few under your belt already, because everything that we cover here is relevant. And when we talk about building a successful portfolio, what are we actually talking about? Well, the great thing is that is down to you. It really depends on what you want to achieve. It might be one or two properties. Maybe you want to build an empire of HMOs. Maybe you want hundreds of HMOs. It doesn't matter. These principles are absolutely key and you can apply it to a small portfolio or a big portfolio. So let's get straight into this. Let's not waste any more time. Where do we get started? What's the very first step in building a successful and sustainable portfolio or business? Well, of course, it's the ability to set goals, to have a strategy and to have a clear vision. And it sounds so simple. It sounds so simple that, in fact, I question whether this should feature on here. But I've seen so many times that people don't spend enough time really diving into this sort of detail. And what happens is they set off on this plan with building a business, building a portfolio without knowing where they're going. The analogy I like to use is, is it's kind of like setting sail across the ocean. If you don't set your bearings before you start, by the time you get to the other side of the ocean, you're going to be a million miles away from where you really want to be. And having goals and strategy and vision or not having a goal and strategy and vision in place with a portfolio is kind of like this. It's very easy to drift into a different strategy or to buy things in different areas or to accept slightly different yields. And all of a sudden, the the original plan that you had in your head looks very, very different on paper. So I'm really envious of people who can do this. I'm envious of people who've got incredible vision boards and can break that vision board down to real bite-sized steps. I'm not one of the people who can do that. I have to really force myself to sit down and write goals, set visions, set strategies. And I often have to check in to make sure that I'm still on course. And it's amazing that even in the course of just a few months, how many ideas can come through your mind or how many things can land on your desk that might take you away from that. So it's so important to have this clearly set out so that you can revert to it at any point when things are getting tough, when you're having a difficult time, when you're losing your way a little bit, you can revert back to something that says, no, this is what we set out to do. This is where we're going. And that means this is what we need to do. It's a beautiful thing to have. And all the successful business people have a goal, a clear strategy and a clear vision. The second step then in this process is the ability to source good quality HMOs and to be able to do that consistently. Now, there's a real art to this. There's not 
just a science and there is a science as well but there's definitely an art to it understanding how to source HMOs is key to the speed at which you can build a portfolio and the efficiency at which you can build a portfolio. It depends on the networks you have, the contacts that you've got. It depends on the systems that you've got in place. Are you sourcing on market? Are you sourcing off market? Where are you sourcing? All of these features come into play and we can see immediately why it's so important to have a goal and a strategy and a vision absolutely nailed before we set out trying to source HMOs, particularly if out consistently sourcing HMOs, if that machine is switched on and it's churning out, we're identifying lots and lots of potential HMOs. If none of those actually fit the original bill, we're just wasting a huge amount of time and we're probably wasting a huge amount of money as well. And we're going to see that pattern as we progress through the podcast. We're going to see that one step relies on the previous step being absolutely nailed, absolutely mastered. The third step then is the ability to appraise HMOs. This is so important and unfortunately a lot of people fall at this hurdle. There is definitely a science to it, there's definitely an art to it as well. Now the spreadsheet never lies but the information that we put into the spreadsheet we have to be very careful about and we have to really understand what we're putting into the spreadsheet. So for example we need to know that the rents that we're inputting are realistic. We need to know that the values that we're working off are realistic. We need to be accurate on what utility bills cost and what our other running and operational costs of properties could be. We need to understand gross and net yields. We need to understand return on capital. We need to understand what happens if valuations don't go to plan and what that appraisal actually looks like. We need to understand how an appraisal on one sort of property can completely differ to something else and where does that fit with our whole goal and of course to make the process as efficient as possible when we're looking at appraising properties we really want to be confident before we do the appraisal that it's going to be pretty close to where we want to be with it but of course if we haven't been sourcing the right sorts of HMOs because our goal and our strategy and vision doesn't align then the output of our appraisals isn't going to be where we want. We're not going to be able to build that sustainable portfolio. Perhaps we're not going to be achieving the yields we need. Perhaps we're not going to be recycling enough capital out to move on and do the next one. So it's so important that we really spend time to become experts, to become masters in appraising HMO properties, HMO deals. And we need to understand what the implications are if anything changes the bits and the variables that aren't completely within our control, if they change, what happens? And how does this change our plan? How does this change what the portfolio is going to look like if we proceed? The fourth step then is planning the refurbishment. So we're now assuming that we've set out our goal, strategy and vision. We've been sourcing the right sorts of properties and now we're appraising the right sorts of properties confidently and we know exactly what we're going to get at the back end. We can then start to plan what the refurbishment is going to look like. Now there's a real skill in doing this and it's a really difficult one to master because building is an unregulated trade and it can be very challenging depending on who you end up working with to run refurbishments efficiently. 
Some tradesmen are absolutely brilliant and they make your life a lot easier. And equally, we have to take some of the blame here. If we don't have a huge amount of experience in this field, then we can make it very difficult for everybody else who's involved, for everybody else who's part of a refurb project. But planning the refurb in the first instance is the best way to make sure that the delivery of the refurb is as close to where we want to be as possible. Now, to plan a refurb, we need to understand everything that's involved. We need to understand budgets. We need to understand contingencies. We need to understand what's realistic within timeframes. We need to understand risk. We need to be able to create schedules of work. And of course, there's a lot there to consider. The best way to do it really is to just get started, but be transparent about what you're doing with everybody. If you try and be an expert and you're too pushy with people, they can push back and it can all fall apart. Like anything, when you just get started, you need to be cautious. You need to build that caution in. You need to build some risk in because you probably are going to make some mistakes, particularly in the earlier stages. And honestly, even now, after years and years and years of running refurbishments and managing projects, I still get things wrong. I still make the wrong decisions. I still order things to site that aren't quite right. I still sometimes miss and don't pay enough attention to the sizes of the quantities that we need. And that leads to people being stood around on site or having to reverse what we've done. And, you know, ultimately that all costs money and it costs time. So planning and mastering the ability to plan a refurbishment is so important. The fifth step then, of course, is the ability to deliver a refurbishment. If you're building a HMO portfolio, you're scaling something up. Refurbishments is going to be a fairly consistent feature of what you're doing on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So you're going to be often running projects and often running projects simultaneously. And there's a lot to think about. So Hopefully by planning refurbishment effectively, you've reduced the chances of anything going wrong, but ultimately stuff is still going to go wrong and you need to keep this ticking along. You need to keep pushing refurbs along. You need to make sure that timelines are achieved, targets are hit, that you can deal with issues when they do present themselves. And there's a way of managing projects. There's a way of managing people on site. You need to have systems in place. You need to understand the financials and how money needs to flow in and out of refurbishments. And you need to be able to track that progress so that you know exactly where you're at at any given time on a refurb. Because trust me, if you take your eye off a refurb for one moment, it can go south so, so quickly. And when we're talking about refurbs that potentially cost 40, 50, 60,000 pounds, potentially even more, if we're out by five or 10%, we're talking about huge sums of money. If you can, if you can soak that up, great. Sometimes you'll have to, but if that's an investor's money or you haven't got that spare cash lying around, you're going to have a big problem on your hands. So you need to master the ability to manage a refurbishment as well, to deliver the refurbishment. And it is your role to make sure that it happens because ultimately the book stops with you. Building regs, planning permissions, all of that stuff. If you don't get it all signed off, all the boxes ticked, all done up to spec, you're going to have problems for a long, 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 long time. So yes, delivering the refurbishment is the fifth step. The sixth step then is the exciting bit, the sexy bit. It's the bit that we see on the gram, on Facebook. It's one of the reasons why a lot of us, in honesty, get into building HMO portfolios and building HMO businesses. It's the HMO designs, of course, making our HMOs look amazing. Now, 
There is definitely a skill in this and some people are much better naturally, naturally more talented at doing this than other people. I am not one of those people. I've always relied on the support and the creative ideas of other people to create the right sorts of products, to create our branded product of student and professional homes. And some of the projects that I see now are absolutely incredible. And it's so important because in a very competitive market where you need to jump off the page, where you literally need to jump off the page, we need to stop our tenants who are scrolling in their tracks. We need to stop them and make them want to inquire about moving into our property or our rooms. We have to get this right. And it's not just a case of now putting some flashy colours on the wall. You have to have a concept. You have to have given this a huge amount of thought. You also need to marry it to your budget, which is one of the really tricky things. It's so easy to come out, come up with great concepts, great interior designs, and then find that you're a million miles away from your original budget and you have to go back and redraft the whole thing. Now, if you've already ordered materials, or you've got people that you're working with that are relying on you delivering this, that's going to be incredibly frustrating. So putting a HMO design and concept in place and actually producing it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of skill. Putting mood boards together, sourcing all the materials is really important and you need to be able to do this effectively. So committing to become a master of of this, of HMO designs is so, so important if you want to build a successful and sustainable portfolio or business. You don't have to be the expert though. The caveat is you don't have to be that expert, but if you're not that expert, you need to understand who is going to do it for you or how you're going to get it right, how you're going to install the right sort of concepts into your properties. If you master that, you'll make the next step so, 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 so much easier. The seventh step then is furniture and appliance solutions. So of course, there is an element here that overlaps with the HMO design, particularly with furniture, but the choice of furniture and thinking long-term is really important. I've seen so many times over the years, people choosing cheaper furniture, landlord budget furniture, that just does not stand the test of time. And after a couple of years, it's wearing out, it needs replacing. And the big problem here that a lot of us don't have the foresight to think about is that once one or two pieces of furniture need replacing, all of a sudden we've got a mismatch. And all of a sudden, this product that we're trying to demonstrate online on Spare Room or on Right Move doesn't quite look like that in real life. And it can really erode the value of the property. When we're getting people around, they're expecting one thing and they're seeing something completely different. What we want to pick is furniture that will last us, furniture that will look good, that is durable, furniture that doesn't fall apart because those little maintenance bits like ticing wardrobes or putting the backs in wardrobes, fixing the casters on drawers, these things really slow you down. And it's difficult to see that. Cheap furniture, of course, on the spreadsheet looks so much better. The appraisal is always going to look more attractive. But long term, when you project the business and you factor the issues that you can have as a result of shoddy furniture, it can be really quite damaging. It's surprising just how damaging it can be. Now, of course, there's a balance. And of course, you have to marry this with the type of product that you're creating. If you're going for super upmarket, top end professional HMOs, You don't really have much of a choice. You've got to select the furniture that resembles that package. If you're at the other end of the spectrum, perhaps you're producing budget student accommodation, perhaps you're producing social HMOs that don't quite need that 
exciting design and expensive look, then it's probably more realistic to think that you can get away with some slightly cheaper furniture solutions, but you still need to be super cautious about exactly what that is and what the lifespan of this is. When it comes to appliances as well, you really need to give this thought. There are a couple of reasons. Firstly, you don't want to have issues with cheap appliances breaking because that can be very expensive, particularly over a long time. But you also want to make sure that from a practical and functional point of view, you've got what your tenants need. One of the big mistakes I often see is people not providing enough space in fridges uh, and people not providing enough washing and drying facilities. It's really frustrating for tenants if they haven't got enough space for they're really important things. If they can't get to a dryer before work tomorrow, it's really frustrating. And these are the sorts of things that lead to churn, tenants moving in and then moving out quite quickly. And honestly, they might pick the house because of the way it looks in spare room and on right move, but they will leave a house because functionally it's not working for them. So we want to make sure for longevity that we've got all of that stuff nailed, that we've really given it the thought that it deserves because ultimately what we want to do is encourage our tenants to stay for as long as possible. We want to give them as few reasons as possible that they might leave the house. Moving on to the next step then, number eight is certificates. So we've sourced our properties, we've appraised it, we've planned refurbs, we've delivered refurbs, we've nailed our design, we've got our furniture and appliance solutions sorted. We're now starting to move into the management of our property and certificates is the single most important thing. We have to understand all of our obligations. So if you're just getting started and you're not quite sure, or even if you've been doing this for a while, but you're not quite sure, you must, 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 must go and do your research. Make sure you completely understand what your obligations are because you can really trip over yourselves here. And the implications of getting this wrong, forgetting things can be disastrous. And I personally know some disasters that have happened to people that I work with. And it's so easy to let things slip. So understand exactly what you need. Go and spend some time committing to that. Write processes and build it into your business. Make sure it's an absolute priority. But you can also put systems in place to help manage the process. So you can set reminders. You can have people that have certain responsibilities. You can even outsource the whole process to certain companies and they will remind you of when you need it. So just make sure that you know exactly what your responsibilities are and that nothing gets missed because trust me, that is one way to cut the lifespan of your portfolio or your business significantly. If you get it wrong and something goes wrong, it's game over. Okay, the next step then is mastering utilities, bills, and the ability to run all-inclusive packages. It sounds easy, but in theory, it's actually not that easy at all. How we manage our utilities has a huge impact on the financials of our portfolio over our business. Now, one of the things that you can think about doing is outsourcing the entire process to a company. They'll look after everything, gas, water, electricity, broadband, council tax, they'll do it all for you. If you decide not to do that and you run it internally, you need to have really efficient systems and you need to know all of your responsibilities. You also need to know what your spends are in your properties and you need to be able to manage it effectively. Now, with professionals, it's really difficult to manage exactly how much they spend because by nature of professional tenancies, 
single lets on the, on a room by room basis, it's very difficult to hold any individual accountable for a certain amount of utility usage. With students, for example, it's a little bit easier because they're a group. If we have a fair usage cap in our tenancy agreement, we can monitor exactly how much energy they're using, how much utility they are spending. And we can keep them updated so long as we track the data and we monitor their exact usage against what the bills are. We can keep an eye on how much they're spending. And periodically, if they're overspending or they're likely to overspend because of the projection that they're on, we can let them know. We can inform them. And that's a really invaluable piece of information. It's an invaluable system to have in your business, in fact, because once you've got a few properties in your portfolio, these overspends can really start to add up and they can cost thousands. They can even cost tens of thousands in utility overspends. So there are lots of tips and tricks and hacks that you can have in place. You can have heating monitors. You can have smart systems to do certain things. You can have, like I said, people that you outsource the whole process to. Um, you can have single accounts, multiple accounts to, to manage the finances. But whatever it is, you need to be very clear and you need to stay on top of it because this is one of those things that can run away from you. And I can tell you from experience, if you don't keep on top of it, you can end up in a huge tangle with some huge bills. We've had some disasters with some of the big energy companies, which ultimately led to us leaving and going to some other providers who managed the whole process for us. But we just got so lost in the accounts and often it's not us that have got it wrong. Sometimes it's the utility providers. Their statements and the accounts that they provide are often illegible and it can be really, really, really difficult to decode, to transcribe the bills that they produce. And that can make it very difficult to run an efficient business because if you've got large utility bills hanging over you, you can be spending Hours and hours and hours pouring over it, trying to understand, trying to communicate with the big energy companies, spending hours on hold. And this is the sort of process that if, you, if you're not managing properly, it can absolutely suck the time and the life and the cash out of your business. So moving on to the 10th step, the last step that we're going to cover in this first part of the two-part episode is inquiries and viewings. So We've got our HMO looking fantastic. We've got all our certificates in place. We know how we're going to be running utilities and bills and things like that. We now need to get the property advertised and we need to start generating viewings. Now, if you followed the first steps, you should be producing incredible HMOs and you should have things looking so good so that things are jumping off the page. We're stopping people in their tracks and they're, they're, they're inquiring almost immediately. So hopefully a big part of this task has already been done. But that is just a first part of the process. We need to be able to manage inquiries consistently and efficiently and effectively. And that is a time consuming exercise. The reality is if we don't respond or we can't respond to inquiries very quickly within 30 minutes, we are significantly reducing the chances of converting that inquiry into a viewing and that viewing into a tenancy. So we need systems and processes in place that manage this. Simple things like having filter mechanisms in place, having a staff member that is solely responsible for managing inbound communications, inquiries from tenants, making sure that somebody has emptied any inboxes by the end of the day and dealt with any inquiries that have come through through the, through the course of the day are so important. Having simple reminder systems and notifications about 
about viewings that you then arrange, having a calendar system that can automate some of this stuff can really speed up the process and make it very, very efficient. Because if you're running a professional business or a, or a student portfolio, viewings is a consistent feature of what you have to do. And it's becoming more and more the norm that tenants want communication on demand when they when they send an inquiry and they're expecting something back almost immediately. And often they can't do viewings between business hours, so they're doing them in the evenings. And we needed all the processes to make sure that we can do this and deliver it. At the end of the day, they are our customers and we need to serve them. So the better and more equipped we are to deal with inquiries and get people in for viewings, the more efficient we are, the the, the, the less our voids will be, the higher our occupancy will be, the more profitable we will be. And the more profitable we are, the more time we can have back, the more we can reinvest in our business. The better our business can be, the better, the quicker we can grow and we can scale. So there we are. They are the first of the 10 steps. So let's recap. Number one, goals, strategy, and vision. Number two, sourcing HMOs. Number three, appraising HMOs. Number four, planning refurbishments. Number five, delivering refurbishments. Number six, HMO interior designs. Number seven, furniture and appliance solutions. Number eight, certificate management. Number nine, utilities, bills and managing all-inclusive packages. And number 10, inquiries and viewings. So a lot to think about there and certainly not something that you can do all in a one But don't feel overwhelmed by this. The idea is that we're building a business. We're looking for long-term sustainability. And this is an evolving process. You'll get better at sourcing HMOs. You'll get better at appraising HMOs. You'll get better at planning and managing refurbishments. And you'll learn from mistakes. And that's absolutely fine. The key is to do it and make as few mistakes as possible to reduce the risks of any significant mistakes and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. It can be so overwhelming and I completely understand this, but what I want to do is reassure you that this is all simple stuff. If you break it down, it's simple stuff. And if you follow a logical process, you stick to the plan, it's really easy to get right. And the world is your oyster. You can scale your business to an infinite degree. In the in the second part, we're going to move on to talking about converting viewings into tenancies. We're going to talk about referencing and guarantors and tenancy agreements. We're going to talk about images and inspections and how to manage tenants effectively. We're going to start talking about basic business financials and we're going to talk about staffing and system building. So we're moving on. That has been an incredible episode. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, if you could spare one minute to leave me a nice, shiny five-star review, I would hugely appreciate it. And if you've also got a second to share the podcast, let your business pals know that you've been listening and the podcast is live, I would massively appreciate that too. So that's it for another episode of the HMO Podcast. Thank you again for joining me and I'll look forward to seeing you in the next installment.